not good. All right. So there's, um, there's various songs that atheists love, and um, the top ten list, the favorite song, uh, number one, is Deck the Halls, and here's a description of it by this atheist of why this is a great song to sing at Christmas if you're an atheist. It's totally gorgeous. It's unrepentantly cheerful. Jolly, one might say. Well, just a haunting, with just a haunting spookiness that makes the best Christmas songs. It celebrates all the best parts of Christmas. Singing, playing music, decorating, dressing up, telling stories, hanging around fires, and generally being festive with the people we love. And it doesn't mention God, or Jesus, or angels, or virgin births, or magical talking animals, or redemption of guilt through blood, sacrifice, or any supernatural anything. Not even once. Heck, it doesn't even mention Christmas. So I started to think about that, and I thought, okay, there's all these sentimental songs, right, that we sing, and it's easy for us to hear that, deck the halls, and kind of go, oh, those silly atheists, you know, how misguided they are. But what I want to say this morning in brief, uh, uh, in, a, in a brief sermon, really, is to focus your attention. How many of you know what, what Where's Waldo, the cartoon? The lanky, goofy Waldo, Right. Once you spot him, you can't imagine that you didn't see him before, right? You all of a sudden go, wow, he's been there the whole time. He's hiding in plain sight. I, I see him now, right? But many times it takes some effort to initially see Waldo, and then once you see him, everything changes, right? The same way with the scriptures. Now, when we, again, listen to those sentimental Christmas songs, and we might sing them, I sing some of them, you know, uh, it's fine, but uh, there are, there's no Jesus, no sin, no redemption, none of that. Uh, it's all about exchanging gifts and festive stuff. Nothing wrong with that. Christians should do that as well. But there's certainly a problem if there's no Jesus, no sin, no redemption. The problem is, I think a lot of times, because we're talking about to us, we shouldn't be so worried about the world out there. We should be more worried about ourselves. And the question ought to be asked, and a serious question ought to be asked, about how specific are we when we think about sin? Do we tend to think about sin in this very abstract, generic sense, like sin is just kind of this thing that's kind of somewhat connected to my life, but it's kind of out there, you know, in the stratosphere a little bit, spiritually speaking, and yes, I'm a sinner, but it has more of this abstract sense to it. It's not really specific to my life. And so when we think of redemption, we certainly don't think many times in the categories that Scripture talks about with respect to sin. Now, what God's Word does is God takes things that we make, that we want to make, frankly, more generic and abstract, and He many times takes us by the scruff of the neck and holds us and allows us to see things about ourselves that we don't want to see and allows us to understand things about things like sin, which is a big part of Christmas, 
um, that we don't want to see. So here's a good example. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, everyone's there, right? And I'm going to be, uh, I think I'm okay because I think of, I'm just scanning the age groups here. I think uh, this will fly over the heads of those it needs to fly over. And for those that it shouldn't fly over the heads of, hopefully you're paying attention. So uh, you'll see why I'm saying that. You go, I, don't, I have no idea what he just said, but you will as soon as I read these verses. So verses 56 and 57. So God's word takes the most unlikely person, a mother, a dainty, gentle mother, and describes what she's capable of doing. Takes the most unlikely person. Doesn't take a criminal, doesn't take a prisoner, doesn't take some nasty, scruffy guy off the street, but describes in somewhat excruciating detail, unless you think this is just an aberration of Scripture, this particular thing is mentioned four times in Scripture. And let me just add another thing. I've shared a number of these kind of things, and people will many times wince when they hear them. And that always tells me they can't be reading through the totality of Scripture because if they were, they would come in contact with things like this. So here it takes, so when we think about sin, when we think about Christmas, when we think about the reality of what Christmas is all about, we need to think in the specificity and the seriousness with which it's describing the most unlikely person in very excruciating details. The most tender, I'm reading from the ESV, the most tender and refined woman among you. So like the poster child for the most tender and refined, superlative, right? The most tender and refined woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because she is so delicate and tender. She's what we would call many times when we were in high school, a prissy kind of girl, you know, just very gentle, right? will begrudge to the husband she embraces to her son and to her daughter. Her afterbraithlet comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears because lacking everything, and you can read the rest, what she does. Okay? I'll stop there. So this is to cause us to go, wow. When God talks about sin, he gets really specific. He doesn't use churchy Sunday school in the negative sense of churchy or Sunday school language. He gets graphic, he gets specific, he takes the most unlikely person that we put in the category of someone, no, that, they can't do a heinous act, there's no way. So now let's turn to Luke chapter 2, a very popular text of scripture uh, at Christmas time. And by the way, what's interesting about today, and the reason why I'm preaching in this particular way, some of you may know this, but probably a number of you don't. Uh, yesterday, uh, February, uh, sorry, uh, Mar uh, March, <laughs> December, I'm going through the year here. Uh, December 28th, yesterday, is the Feast of Innocence. And that feast is a remembrance of Herod slaughtering all the children to and under. Okay, it's on the church calendar for Roman Catholics and Protestants. Today, the day is remembered among Eastern Orthodox. So all three traditions of the Christian faith remember the Feast of Innocence when Herod did that. Now, we don't tend to think about that. We tend to think of Christmas in a very sentimental sort of way. Even as Christians, we don't have the kind of thick 
realistic view of what Christmas is all about. Because we tend to privilege, oh, Jesus comes in the world, awesome. Light comes in the world, love that. Redemption comes, great. That's all great news. But we tend to privilege that so much that we lose sight of the fact that he comes in the world to save sinners. And when he's describing that, he's describing us in very specific, fulsome, comprehensive categories. Not in these kind of abstract, theoretical categories, but in very real categories. That we are in a desperate situation, and if Christ does not come into our world, we remain desperate. No matter how great we look on the outside, right? If we're like the Pharisee and we clean up really well and we go to church and we nod when we should nod and do all the right stuff and we're jumping through all the right hoops, we give our money and do this and that, you know, that sort of thing. And yet God allows us to stay there and to think about, wow, he's describing sin in such a way that he sees the capacity of every single person on planet earth, even the most likely capable of doing the most heinous act. Okay, so let's look at chapter two here just real briefly, and I'm going to highlight a couple things. Um, I will say that the scandal of Christmas has been lost, and it hasn't been lost necessarily because the world has made Christmas sentimental. I think a lot of us as Christians would like to have Christmas be more sentimental and not deal with all of reality. Unfortunately, the reality is that Christ allows us to be honest with all of reality. During the prayer and praise, you shared a lot of nitty-gritty tough stuff that we're living way east of Eden, right? And the world has fallen. And yes, Christ has come in and brought new life, and the light has come, and it's now shining, but the fullness of the kingdom is not here. And, and actually, the, historically, kind of the shift of this more sentimental thing probably happened like mid-19th uh, century Victorian England and became a big marketing thing, and it's pretty interesting here, history. But uh, what I want us to see here in Luke chapter uh, 2, just real briefly, are a couple things. And I, as some of you know, have heard me before, uh, I describe myself sometimes as a serial debate, uh, doubter, sorry, uh, a serial debater too, but serial doubter, not serial with a C. I, I love serial. I believe serial with a C exists. I've never doubted the existence of serial with a C. Never in my life. I see it every morning. I pour milk on it. It's great. It's always there for me, right? So I'm, I'm a complete believer in serial with a C. But serial as meaning a series, periodic, uh, a doubter about the Christian faith and um, what I'm looking for a lot when I'm reading the Bible for my own benefit, I'm looking for things that I just go, that just doesn't seem made up. That just seems like it has the ring of truth. Or that just seems like that really deeply resonates with my longings that I can't even quite describe. And even, and even the Christian scriptures in Romans 8 give me the category that when we can't describe something, Romans 8.26, we have these groanings too deep for words that God kind of fills in the blanks, so to speak, and, and fills in those gaps. 
So I'm always looking for what is this kind of ring of truth, and we certainly see this in this text. So look at Luke chapter 2 here with me, and uh, Luke chapter 2 is actually, um, in the first part, there's kind of a, uh, by the way, a friend years ago, uh, this is kind of a, I think in scripture, this is one of those LOL, laugh out loud moments, but early on, I don't keep up with the abbreviation so hot, and one of the guys I was doing executive coaching with, I sent him something, and he's a good friend, but he sent me back something, and it said LOL, and I had no idea what LOL meant at the time, so I thought he was telling me that he loved, oh, a lot, me, and I think, well, that's neat that he loves me, you know, that's cool, but, uh, you know, we're just kind of getting to know each other, and that's, that's cool, he's a brother in Christ, I'm glad he loves me. And uh, then that was the real LOL, the true LOL. It's like, you thought I was saying I loved you? Well, I do. I think you're okay, but, you know, just saying a laugh out loud. Um, but this is kind of one of those moments, actually, in Scripture, one of those LOL moments. So in the same region, there were shepherds. Now, shepherds were the off-scouring of the world. They were like um, what we might view as hotel maids or... Uh, trash collectors. They were viewed by the Egyptians with suspicion. Uh, they were viewed to not tell the truth. They were viewed as the lowest of really the low in society. So the shepherds were out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them with the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were filled with great fear. You'll see from this text, actually starting in chapter 1, verse 1, and going all the way through the first two, three chapters of Luke, you see a lot of examples of do not fear, do not fear, which is a, uh, very much a repeated commandment in Scripture. Some people say the most uh, in Scripture. And so here you have this setting. Now imagine these shepherds. They're used to doing the same thing over and over and over again. They go out at night. Night is perilous because it's dark. And there can be bandits, there can be wild animals, there can be all sorts of things. The night is lit by the stars and maybe a campfire, but that's about it. But they're used to the kind of things happening kind of on cue and, and, and they kind of know the deal, right? And then all of a sudden you have this, not like, okay, by the way, shepherds, in a week from now, we're going to appear to you or I'm going to appear to you first and then, then something else is going to happen just be aware. You know, it's very abrupt that it happens. So they're terrified. And lest you think this is the fullness of God's glory, as Habakkuk 3, God is merciful. And when God reveals himself, there is a hiding of his power, is what Habakkuk 3 says. So as, as uh, amazing as this is, as powerful as this is, this is kind of like, if you know the, the movie Princess Bride, uh, where Vizini, the guy, the bald guy, is, is uh, really caught up with his genius. And, and uh, Inigo Montoya is across from him. He goes, boy, you are a genius. You are a true genius. And he goes, I'm just getting started, right? And um, so this is the concealing. This is just angelic concealment, really, and yet it's still amazing. They're terrified, and they're obviously told not to be terrified because the angel says, the angel said to them, fear not, verse 10, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this, city, this day in the city of David a Savior, is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying. So talk about 
having to grow quickly. One angel terrifies you, and then you're told, okay, don't freak out, everything's okay. And now that you're used to one angel, well, I've got a bunch of buddies, and then boom, you know, we're all on the scene here, right? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So here you have a very unlikely group of people, shepherds, and you see throughout Scripture, God many times uses unlikely people. Not always. There's times where he uses people that we would imagine, at, you know, that a secular person might use. Solomon, Saul, and on the list goes. So just because he uses unlikely people doesn't mean he doesn't ever use people that we would maybe naturally gravitate toward as leaders. But we certainly see the ring of truth in this. We see very unlikely people are going to be now the messengers. They've received it from, literally, Angelos, messengers of God, and now they are going to be the messengers to bring the good news. Really unlikely. Unlikely like Mary Magdalene being the first person to see the resurrected Christ. The woman who had multiple demons come out of her. By the way, does, the Bible does not say she was a prostitute. You know, everyone always infers that. Like, see popular movies, and they always give this idea like Mary Magdalene's a prostitute. The Bible does not say Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. All it says is she was demon-possessed. It's pretty interesting why we've kind of extrapolated she must have been a prostitute. I think there's, there's probably a whole sermon there, but I'll just leave that as a time bomb for you to kind of figure out biblically Anyway, so Mary Magdalene is the first person to see the resurrected Christ, right? That's, that's weird. I mean, if you want to validate the resurrection of Christ, you want a powerful religious male in that culture to go, oh yeah, I saw it. I'm part of the clergy. I'm part of the, you know, the Sanhedrin. I'm part of this or that. You wouldn't have a formerly demon-possessed woman, right? Unless it's not a made-up account unless it's just describing what happened. It's the ring of truth again. Okay, let's look at now verses 15 and to 17. When the angels went away from, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. Remember that song we sang? We sang a song with haste in it. Right? What was the name of that? That was great. Okay, it had, it had haste in it, right? Okay. They went with haste, triple underscore that, if you don't feel like it's uh, disrespectful to highlight your Bible, which I don't. Highlight that. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph with the baby lying in a manger. Um, I, I, I like to use memory devices a lot, and so my memory device for this, as I was kind of thinking about this sermon, is the, the shepherds did not dicker, dawdle, or doubt. They were motivated to move out. The shepherds did not dicker, dawdle, or doubt. They were motivated to move out. You see the contrast a lot of times in Scripture, John 6. Jesus says he's the bread of life. You've got to eat his flesh, drink his blood. Otherwise, you won't have life amongst yourself. What do you see? You see groups of people... Some people, the masses, just wanted a meal, so they leave. It's too freakish. What's he talking about? We're not going to hang out for this. But what's interesting is the Jews, it says the Jews started to argue amongst themselves. 
they started to dicker amongst themselves. They were their own reference point. They weren't there waiting for God to reveal more, and which he does, verse 63 of, of, of chapter 6. And John says, Jesus said, the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that gives life. If they had waited longer to hear more revelation, if they had been obedient, they would have gotten more revelation, which you see in Scripture, by the way. Uh, John 5 certainly talks about this, that if we're obedient, or John 14 also, if we're obedient to God, God gives more revelation to us. And what you also see, Elizabeth Elliot, some of you recognize that name. Elizabeth Elliot used to say, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So God reveals something to you, and you're, you're, you know, there's times where you're not sure, right? You need counsel from other people. You're not sure. But there's a lot of things that are really clear in Scripture, like husbands love your wife as Christ loves the church. It's like, that's not really hard to figure out. That's not an issue to start dickering about or doubting or dawdling, okay? That's something like really clear. Give thanks in all things. Like, oh, I wonder what that means. I wonder what it means to have a grateful heart. That's, I need to study that a lot more and ponder. Well, you might need to study it more, but it's pretty clear what it means to have a grateful heart, even in the midst of hard things, right? So when God reveals something to us that's clear, it's not time to dick or dawdle or doubt, it's time to move out, and they go with haste. So the shepherds are this profound example of, which you see throughout Scripture, of implicit obedience, and then they get more revelation. Now what they get is quite unexpected, even though they've, told, they've been told clearly this is what's going to happen. They see a baby. The baby is the savior of the world. It's like, okay, this is a paradigm buster. This blows categories. This whole night's been crazy. You know, we're just out doing our shepherding thing, and these angels appear, and now we go and find out it's a, it's a baby? Like, really? And yet, they were willing to move out with haste. And then in closing here, verses 18 to 20, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So here you have, again, the shepherds are being used as the primary way to communicate God's truth. They wondered what the shepherds told them, and Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. By the way, you see Mary also implicit quick obedience, unlike Zacharias who kind of struggled some, which I can very much relate to, and went mute as a result. Um, but Mary has that implicit quick obedience as well. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So you have this really clear implicit obedience with the shepherds. And so what we have really as you think about the extended Christmas season is you have Christ coming to very unlikely people revealing himself in an incredibly unlikely manner, you know, as a baby. And you have all these things that give you this sense of, of this, this must be the way it is. And yet, what we need to see, again, as I mentioned with the, the, the Feast of Innocence we we're remembering today and, and yesterday, is that Christ is coming with great light into the world, but the world is still very dark. 
This isn't, I mean, now is not the fullness of the kingdom. The kingdom has broken in and the incarnation changes everything. So the Christmas story is the incarnation changes everything. All bets are off. Human history is now in a totally different trajectory. That's profound. That's joyful. That's hopeful. That's awesome. But we still live in this terribly broken world. And in this world, we can hold like parallel train tracks, like can look at parallel train tracks going, this is our hope, it's unwavering, it's an undeniable hope, we're going to see the fullness of it later on, but we don't need to deny or diminish or get into the sentimental, you know, kind of Christmas gooey stuff. And again, it's fine to enjoy all those things, but always remembering that Christmas always has, true Christmas has Jesus, has sin, in that very big way, and always has redemption. Let's pray. Lord, we would be in the dark if you had not come, and yet we would maybe not even know how dark it is, because we tend to love the dark, and we love to do deeds in the dark. And even us as good, upstanding people, the, the, the things that maybe have crossed our hearts, I'm sure that if anyone's honest in this room, that things that they've thought about, maybe not carried out, but just thought about the last couple weeks, if that could be displayed for everyone to see, would cause any of us to want to move out of town and, and change our address. Uh, I pray that we would remember that you know the depths. We, 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 know our sin. we know the kind of sin that embarrasses us enough that we would not want to even admit it to a close friend. But you know that our sin goes deeper than that, and yet there is forgiveness in you. There is grace that abounds greater than sin, as Romans 5 makes really clear. As, as extensive as sin is, grace goes even further. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be honest people, not just honest about what's going on in the world in kind of this abstract way, but honest about what's going on in our own human hearts, and that we would read Scripture with an eye to how am I more like, say, this dainty woman? Do I recoil and say, how could she have done that? Or do I say to myself, wow, I could see a lot of different steps that would lead me in a direction like that. But thanks for the incredible hope and joy, even as we think about what Herod did, um, Lord, and how awful that is, and we lamented. I think about uh, what I heard on the radio coming over with the Syrian refugees and just the heinous things that are going on, and um, there doesn't seem to be enough money, there's corrupt governments, corrupt people, systems, it's just terribly broken. Um, help us to honestly lament, but lament with hope. Never lose sight of our hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.